You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. My name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer, and I'm so glad that you've come to worship with us this morning. I don't know if you heard this uh, week that Apollo Creed died. Big loss. You guys know Carl Weathers, that original villain in Rocky. Such a, a deep uh, loss for all of you, I know. We'll, we'll pray about that. We'll work our way through it. But this, this, this thing about the Rocky story that was so good that I think we latch onto as a people was this idea of an underdog who could not be stopped. No matter what, he had this will to press on. And the, you know, that no matter what came at him, he would not stop. He would keep going and and he would succeed somehow, even though every odd was stacked against him. We long for that truth somehow to be realized in our own lives. What is it that we could say, I, I know somehow I'm going to make it. Somehow I'm going to not give up. I'm not going to fail. When so many things in our lives teach us that that's just not true. Sometimes we do fail. We often fail. We we press on and want to do good and want to sustain and continue and face every odd and keep moving forward, and we don't. And so we're haunted by that. We're haunted because the waves just keep pounding and pounding and they don't stop. Some form or another of adversity hits us and knocks us back to this reality that I'm not enough, I'm not going to make it. And as a parent, you look at your little ones and you go, oh, I want them to make it. I want them to move forward and not let this world just beat them into submission. I want them to press on. Well, there is a, there is a, a truth in Scripture. The Word of God proves true. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. It will be the manifestation of reality. What God has said, God will complete. There is no stopping Him. There is no holding Him back. He is the manifestation of our deepest hope. That even in death, God is victorious. What else do we have in our life that we can say holds up like that? Well, we have nothing as you look at 2 Timothy with me this morning, and we look at this passage, I want you to hear this from the voice of a seasoned apostle who has planted many churches. And at this point in his life, he knows he's not going to survive this one. He's only hours or days away from his death. And yet the Word of God will continue on. The program of God will continue on after Him. And by His grace, it's made its way through time and space to us. And I long for God to speak to you with such clarity today that you could say, I have heard God's voice. I have been built up and encouraged today by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And so whatever else has distracted you this morning, whatever waits for you tomorrow morning, it's my hope and my prayer that you could, by the grace of God, push back from those things and listen well as the Spirit of God uses the Word of God 
to affect His purposes in your life, and His purposes are absolutely unstoppable. Father, we are grateful for Your sovereign care over our lives. It is not by any accident that we are sitting here today in this group of people at this time and location to hear what you want to say to us today. You sit in heaven and do anything you want. Nothing will stop you. Nothing will hold back your hand. You will accomplish your purpose. God, teach us to rest not only in your sovereignty, but in the love and the care that rests inside of your sovereignty for us. Teach us then to rest and not scramble all the time as if it was always up to us. I pray, God, that you would empower me to speak and your people to hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as I preached in my gospel. Let's stop there for just a moment, and I want you to know that what he is saying here essentially is to Timothy, as I move on, I want you to anchor deeply into the person of Jesus Christ. That word, remember, is actually in the active tense. It might even read like this, keep on remembering Christ. I mean, you've started that in the past, remembering Him. I want you to continue remembering Him. Don't let Jesus move to the back burner of your consciousness. Don't let Him fade from the forefront of your affections. The natural drift that happens in our lives is to forget the great truths of God. And the greatest truth is Jesus Himself. And so if you're going to continue on in faithfulness, Timothy, I want you to keep on remembering Christ. What did Jesus say on the night that He was betrayed? Do this as often as you will in remembrance of Me. Go back and remember again and again and again who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, how that affects you, how you live your life in light of who He is and what He has done. Remember Jesus Christ. Don't forget Jesus Christ. Alistair Begg, the great preacher, the great Scottish preacher in, up in Ohio, he said, every now and then when I feel accused in my soul, some sin I've committed, some action I've taken, some thought I've had, I have this thought. What kind of pastor are you that you would have a thought like that? You ever felt accused in your soul? You ever said something, done something, and thought, why in the world do I act like that? I, I was on a, I was when up in Illinois where we spent what felt like 50 years. It was only 12. It was just so cold, right? Especially this time of year. And I couldn't go out and walk in the morning to pray. Well, I mean, I guess I could have. I just didn't want to. And so I'd get in my car and I'd go for a drive 
on Highway 55, and I'd head south on Highway 55, and I would just pray and take every phrase of the Lord's Prayer and just go through it in my own words. And I'm praying, right? And I'm just enjoying my time. And suddenly, an 18-wheeler, for whatever reason, just didn't only cut me off. He pretty much ran me off the road to where the car was doing this. (laughs) And what came out of me in that moment was not exactly my best uh, expression of patience or gratitude. I was praying, and, and, and my response to that would, would embarrass me terribly if I told you what it was. Let's just say it was ugly when I finally gathered myself and realized where I was at and how angry it had made me. And here was the accus- accusation of my soul was, God, I thought I was better than that. That's what Alistair Begg was saying is, gosh, I thought I was better than that. And he said, you know how I fought back against that ugly thought of what kind of pastor are you to have that kind of thought, especially after all of these years? Wouldn't you know better? Wouldn't you be better than that? He said, you know how I fought that? Now you're about, you think I'm about to say, I remember Jesus Christ. No, his answer was, but I've had good thoughts. I've also had these very noble thoughts. I've also, I didn't just think terrible thoughts. I had some good thoughts over here. See, that's not the gospel, is it? That, that's, well, if you look at me in this terrible light, at least look at me in this good light. Friends, we are prone to forget Jesus Christ. Remember Him in those moments. Don't, don't say, well, yeah, but even in light of all this bad, look at some of my good, because that's just you on the performance wheel, the, the performance uh, treadmill trying to say, but I'm really pretty good. And maybe not even compared to other people, but, or compared to myself, but compared to other people, I'm not that bad. Remember Jesus Christ. Go back to Him. Remember that He died a criminal's death on a Roman cross outside of Jerusalem like an outcast, like the scum of the earth. He died there, unashamed to suffer for us. Remember Jesus Christ. And don't just do that once. Keep on remembering Jesus Christ. Friends, if you look at the last seven days and you find yourself saying, that wasn't what I hoped for. Remember Jesus Christ. If you didn't act like the person, the idealized version of yourself that you'd like to act like, you can try harder, and that's good. Try harder, but always remember Jesus Christ. Don't let Him shift into the back seat of your life to be forgotten back there. Keep Him at the front. Remember Jesus Christ, and not only that, that He was risen from the dead. So in his obedience to his father, he suffered. Remember that his suffering brought him all the way to that cross, but it did not contain him there. Death could not hold him. He was raised from the dead. So when you remember him, remember that he suffered, not because he was guilty, but because we were guilty, and all the way to the point of death. He obeyed his father. Now, if you've ever ridden a roller coaster and you're on the last car of the train in that roller coaster, you know that's a different experience than being on the front, right? Because 
it's going to go a little quicker from where you're sitting. Uh, once they crest that hill and it really starts to go, you know that wherever the front car went, you're going also. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully. You, you want to go, right? Friends, our King, our leader, our Savior, His obedience brought suffering into His life to the point of death, but death did not hold Him. He was risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. Where He went in His obedience is the same place we're going to go. And as we obey our King, as we follow Him, we follow Him into a tomb. And something of us dies in there. The life we thought we would live, the person we hoped we'd be, that person dies. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He is risen from the grave, and you will be also. He is risen from the dead. He is also the offspring of David. And this is good. This is good. This is good news. This is the guy that, that is the fullness of the manifestation of the promise that God made to David when David wanted to build God a house. David looks around and says, do I have to live in this beautiful place? And God is in a tent somewhere. I want to build a house for the Lord. And God says, no, David, it's not you who need to build me a house. I will establish a covenant with you. You will have offspring who will be on the throne forever. And that's Jesus. So this promise that started with David was manifest in Jesus, and it will go on forever. It was prophesied by the Word of God, and nothing will stop it. This is the historical promise of God made manifest in Jesus Christ. And Timothy, you can anchor yourself right into that. You can just find your footing there. So when we read this book, right? Everything in it feels like it's of utmost importance. Everything in it feels like it's just really, if you don't catch what I said before, don't miss this. The whole book has that flavor of this is critical and you can't miss it. Paul tells Timothy, as I'm about to die, remember Jesus Christ, that He has risen from the dead and He is the offspring of David. This is the long-awaited Messiah. This is Him, and we follow Him. Remember Him. I can't do that as I look at my own life. I see what Paul told Timothy, that, that, that this deep anchor, this identity anchor, if you want to say it that way, is in Christ. And that every church from that point to this time needed that same anchor. They, they needed to remember Christ just as much as Timothy did. They needed to remember the gospel, that he was raised from the dead, that he was the offspring of David. They needed that. We need that. How do we do it? How do I anchor into that so that I may endure? Well, there's other truths that he's about to show us, but I want you to know this. Friends, you won't make it, you won't endure without a body of believers around you. Now think about that. We are the body of Christ. My right hand, my left hand, we're a part of one body. I, I need both of them. They both need each other. I, you need us, we need you. This is how we continue on in grace. 
remember Jesus Christ. And he said, this is the gospel that I preach. It's not like something that's super complex. It's very straightforward. And it is the very reason why I am suffering right now as a criminal. Now, Paul could have used a lot of different words in the place, therefore, criminal in chains. He used the harshest word he could find. They're treating me like low-life scum because I preach this gospel. They are treating me like I have done the worst of the worst because I preach this gospel. And he says, I am in my very moments before death treated like a criminal. Well, guess what? That's exactly what happened to Jesus. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. Died a criminal's death, treated like the scum of the earth. Paul says, that's what happened to me. Timothy, you need to know that you are following the steps of Jesus and also now of Paul. So anchor deep into Christ because he is chained as a criminal, but then he makes this statement. But the word of God is not bound. You can sometimes imagine, I don't, I don't know, if maybe I'm just peculiar in this way, but I imagine the, the strategists of hell. The strategists of hell. And, and, they're, and they're down there and, and they're talking to one another and saying, man, what's, what's up with the boss? He's so snippy lately. He's so downcast. What's going on? Why is he always like this? Oh, it's that Paul fella. He's always preaching the victory of Jesus and all that. And everywhere he goes, he's preaching. And you can almost hear one of them saying to the other, well, we'll beat him up. Yeah, we tried that. He didn't stop. Well, did you throw rocks at him? Did you have any, stir up the crowd to throw rocks at his head. Yeah, we tried that too. He just, he just got up. Did you get him whipped? Yeah, we got him whipped. Got him whipped. Oh. Drown him. We tried that. Snake bites. We tried that. It, it, nothing works. The guy just keeps going. We'll lock him up. Just, I mean, if nothing else, if we can at least keep him locked up in a jail, what harm can he cause there? Yeah, we did that, and then he started writing letters to his friends. Well, that'll never go anywhere, right? I mean, he's going to write a few letters. He's going to title them Ephesians, <laughs> Colossians, Philemon. <laughs> oh, no. 2,000 years later, the, letter, the letters that Paul wrote have been studied, have been enjoyed, have been uh, praised God for these letters, all of this. Here's the truth. You can lock Paul up, but you can't lock up the Word of God. It is absolutely the agenda of God. It is blessed by God. It will succeed, and there will be no stopping it. Because this is the purpose of God. So let's, let's go back a little bit. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5, every word of God is going to prove true. And He's a refuge and a shield to those who take refuge in Him. You can count on this. Our God sits in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. So as you anchor yourself today 
in the Word of God, in the person of God, in Jesus Himself, the very logos of God, the expression of God's voice made manifest. As you anchor in Him, you've got an anchor that will hold up through the storms of life. But when you start outsmarting Him, when you start thinking, no, I got this, keep your seat, I'm fine. I've got strategies, I've got friends, I've got money, I've got a plan. I've got all of these things. You are on shaky ground. So unstable. What is Paul telling Timothy? You remember Jesus Christ. You remember the Word of God. You remember that He is the Messiah and nothing will stop Him. His Word is absolutely unstoppable. I love these verses. I want to share a couple of them with you. Listen to this from Isaiah chapter 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout and give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. Also from Hebrews chapter 4, this will be a familiar verse for many of you. It says, for the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and the, of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him whom we must give an account. Now I want you to think about this. That's why... And it's so important for you to hear this. In a time and an age where people don't even want to hear the truth, if it's offensive to them, they will accumulate for themselves. Paul will tell Timothy later, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears with what they want to hear. We are committed, utterly committed, to speak where the Bible speaks, to be silent when the Bible is silent. And if that runs up against the grain of our culture, okay, it is loving and gracious to preach expositionally through the Bible, to teach what is true. You'll be able to find churches uh, more and more according to the spirit of the age that will never offend you, will never cause you to have to go home and repent. But by God's grace, this will simply not be one of those churches. This will be a place where the truth is taught. And it's so important to me that you understand this. We, we talk about cultural markers in our church. Cultural markers, what do I mean by that? Well, every family has a culture. Every team has a culture. Every church has a culture. It's the things you feel when you're there, right? You may or may not be able to ever repeat a long sentence that I give you, could give you about the purpose of our church, but you'll feel certain things when you're with us for a couple of weeks. What are those things? Well, there's four markers, and, and, and I believe this with all of my heart, that every strategy is 
absolutely powerless compared to the culture of a church. Meaning, I could put together a strategy, but if you don't know any of that, you will still feel the cultural markers of a church. Well, here's, here's our four markers, and it's why we preach the way we preach. It's why we say the things we say. It's the priorities you feel. First, that we are joyfully, joyfully submitted to the Word of God. I'm not like embarrassed that the Word of God sometimes causes angst in my own soul. We're joyfully submitted to His leadership in this church. His Word is true. From Genesis to the maps, right? His Word is true. We're joyfully submitted to that. But that we are also, we are committed to, or pardon me, shaped by prayer. I think that's the next one. Yeah, shaped by prayer. What do I mean by shaped by prayer? Meaning that the more time you spend in prayer, the more the affections of God will start to take over your own affections. They will change your affections. And so the more you spend time with us, and the more we pray together, everything starts to change internally. We're shaped by prayer. The three, we are also fully loved and fully known. You're a lot more sinful than you think. I am too. <laughs> we are fully known. Every wart, every future backslide, God, God knows all about it. We're not on a first date with Him. He knows the truth about our ugliness of our soul, of our uh, worldliness, of our uh, bad moments when trucks run us off the highway. He knows fully about that, and He fully loves us. It's not really love if it's not really full knowledge, right? And then we are also burdened with hope. Burdened with hope. And once you've sat at this table and you've eaten at the feast of God, the, the goodness, the grace, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, it is so satisfying that it overflows out of us. We want to share that. We believe that we're here in Georgetown for a purpose and for a season, and it's our job to carry this hope. We have the burden of carrying it to the people that are all around us. And that's why you see us in this way. That's why we invite you continually into not just Sunday morning experience, but to gospel communities that happen through the week. We start to invite others into our times of worship, not just here on Sunday morning, but times of prayer and praise that happen in our church outside of this. We carry that good news with us. And so Paul says, back to 2 Timothy, the Word of God is unbound. It is not bound it will not be stopped. And he said, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's stop for a moment there because there's a word there that might cause some of you to stumble a little bit. It's the word elect. It's one of the doctrines of grace. And for some of you, this will be new. What is divine election? What is this word? And for some of you, it's a bad word. And you're like, ah, I heard that word. I don't like that word. Well, remember, <laughs> we are joyfully submitted to the word of God. We love the word of God. And it is undeniable that predestination and election are a part of how God expresses his relationship to our salvation. It is biblical. There is no avoiding it other than to just not read it. But friends, there is so much joy 
So much love, joy, and confidence that comes from understanding the doctrines of grace, especially divine election. So what is divine election? It is God's sovereign choosing in eternity past who will be saved. God's sovereign choosing in eternity past, before there was ever a Garden of Eden, before there was an angelic realm, before there was disobedience of Israel in the wilderness, before there was any of that, before there was a cross on Calvary's hill, God chose us in Christ. Now, I know immediately for some of you, you're like, yeah, see that? Uh, i got a problem with that. i got an issue with that. Well, friends, walk with me for a moment, okay? Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. If you ask Paul, why do you do this? What are you doing? Why would you put yourself through this? You're in the Mamertine prison. I mean, if you got saved many years ago, and God was never going to change His mind about you. God was never going to back out of that. Heaven was secured for you. Why in the world would you do what you have done and risk so much and be exposed to so much hatred, so much violence? Why would you do that if you didn't have to? If heaven was already yours. And you know what Paul's answer is? Because the lost children of God are out there and I'm going to go looking for them. I will endure everything for the sake of the elect. I know that they're out there. I know that they are hidden to my eyes, but God sees them. And He has sent His Son to die in their place. And He has called their name from eternity past. And when they hear this good news, God has wired it into their souls that when they hear it, they will respond. And though I don't know who they are, He does. And I will go and look for them. Listen to these words. And try to hear with open heart and mind the love and the grace of God in these words. Ephesians chapter 1, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purposes of His will. Verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Listen to this, Romans chapter 8. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called Those who He called, He also justified. A legal term that I love. He declared righteous. And those He justified, He also glorified. Can I stop for a moment and try to invite you into this? There's a part of us that wants to say, but that's not fair. And what I would say to you is, hold on just for a moment. The working of God and His wisdom and His purposes from eternity past is more complex and more meaningful, and more understood in in heavenly realms than we can imagine. 
and it is undeniable biblically. It's there. Well, hold on, Robert. What about, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in Him? Yeah. Whoever. It doesn't matter what type of sin they've been committing. It doesn't matter where they come from. Whoever believes in Him, they will be saved. But that grace that brings them to that moment was started by Him in eternity past. Now, we wrestle with that. and I want you to know, there's part of me that goes, I, I don't know how that works though. Doesn't Scripture teach not only the sovereign choosing of God, but also that people make free will decisions? Doesn't it teach that people are not robots and automatons that just go about just blurting out what they've been programmed to blurt out? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. God's sovereignty and the choice of people does not mean they can't exist together in God's universe and God still accomplishes His will. You make choices, I make choices. God is sovereign. And from where I sit, the two can't ever go together. But from where God sits, they can. Have you ever seen a German Enigma machine made in the 1920s? It's the code, the encryption code machine that the Germans used to communicate their military plans. If you opened one of those things, do you know how complex that thing was from the 1920s? That like some 150 million, million something, whatever uh, opportunity or different encryptions could come out of that thing? I mean, it's so complex that if I had to crack that code, I'd be utterly lost. You ever opened up a MacBook Pro? and said, I don't think I should open this again. I should close this and let... This is it's above my pay grade, right? It's, it's just too complex. I don't understand it. Friends, make no mistake. The Father has chosen who He will save for His own reasons, His own purposes. And people are making choices every day. And we are responsible for those choices. And yet He has chosen. And His will is unstoppable. And the grace of God precedes the salvation of men and women. He calls and somehow in that calling we respond. And that's a mystery that I can't understand. I know this, that I am saved. I believe that with all my heart, which means my name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Robert Wesley Livingston was written in that book before the foundation of the world. Did my parents really name me or did he? I mean, they could have named me Elvis Presley Livingston or George Washington Livingston. They could have named me anything. It wasn't determined, at least from where they sat, that my name was Robert Wesley Livingston until the day that it happened because they had several other names they were looking at. That name was written in eternity past. I don't understand that, but I know that God does. Listen to this. Jesus says in John chapter 15, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Friends, this is a doctrine that I want you to embrace and not push away. 
I want you to see it as the love and, and the beauty of God and His complexity and His wisdom. He has reasons and understandings that are far beyond us. And He never mistreats anyone. He never gives anyone injustice. He never gives injustice, but He has given us mercy and grace. Praise God, because I can't mess that up. Now let's go back to the text. Some of you are going to be like, well, uh, yep, that's about all I needed to hear. We'll be go visiting <laughs> whatever church. If this messed you up, let's have coffee, let's talk. There's so much joy here, and I don't want you to miss it. Because listen to this, what he says next. I endure all these things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, let me, let me just help you understand this. Paul's belief in this didn't make him say, well, what's the point? I mean, if God's going to save, if God's going to save, why? If I believe in sovereignty, shouldn't I just not risk everything? Shouldn't I just sit in the safety of my own life, my own choices? Because God's going to do what God's going to do. No, because he believes this, he's willing to risk everything. Because he believes that God will save He's motivated to go and preach the good news. Many years ago, in fact, <laughs> when I, I don't want to embarrass my kids, but I, you know, being a preacher's kid's a tough deal, right? You might end up in a story. Usually I'd ask for permission, but it's okay if I share the story of how you came home. <laughs> 13 years ago, my kids came, 12 years ago, my kids came home today, except Sarah came a year and a half later. When I went to get Sarah, um, from Ghana, the whole embassy shut down. It was called sequestration, which meant that the government didn't have the funds to uh, you know, do all this. And so they sent a lot of the embassy staff home. So we were about to go home the next day, and they said, sorry, we can't process any of these passports and stuff like that. And I'm like, you have to. You have to. I mean, come on. I, it's not like I live next door. I've, I flew here from Illinois. I, I need you to do this. You know what I didn't do? I didn't go back to her and say, ah, it didn't, you know, it didn't work out. Sorry. I mean, sequestration and all that. So I sat there with my six-year-old and we cried, both of us. And here's what I said. I'll be back. I promise you that. I'm coming. No matter how much it costs, no matter how long it takes, I'll be back. Friends, do you hear this? Our father sent his son at great cost to himself, and he endured the cross. And Paul says, hey, I'll endure everything for the sake of the elect because they're mine, and I'm coming for them, and I will not let anything stop me. You are the object of that love. You are the object that he would endure this kind of mistreatment that he would endure all of that for the sake of those he knows are his brothers and sisters that are coming home. And I'm not going to let go of you because it got hard. Amen. You are safe in him. He'll not give you up. Well, what, if I, what if I do a terrible life? What if I just do awful? Well, let's, let's watch this because he is going to address this. There's a context around these verses that I'm about to read. This is a, a phrase probably sung by the early church. Listen to this. He says, The saying is trustworthy. For if we've died with Him, we will also live with Him. 
If we endure, we'll also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. Oh no. Oops. What? (laughs) If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. This is a, a phrase they probably sang back and forth at the end of services or the end of their gatherings together. And it says this, Paul says, listen, this is a trustworthy statement. We sing it all the time. I just want you to know it is actually true. And it starts with, if we've died with Him, we will also reign or live with Him. What does that mean? What does it mean if we, if we die to Him, we live with Him? He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses it for my sake will find it. Romans chapter 6, if you've been crucified with Christ, you will also be raised with Christ to walk in the newness of life. When Christ calls you to follow Him, He calls you to take up your cross and follow Him. He didn't call you to just follow Him. He says, you, the old you, the person you would have been, the person you were hoping to be, that person's dead. Everything about you, your sin, your ambitions, everything you hoped, that person's dead. But don't let that give you despair because there's a new life He's about to give back to you. You'll walk with Christ in the newness of life. If you've ever read the uh, biography of Amy Carmichael, she says she's the one that went to China and India, and she's truly a hero of mine. I mean, if you get a chance, read her biography. It'll, it'll so inspire you. It'll, it'll just inflame the love of God in you. But she says, the day that I sailed for China... I think even in heaven, I will shudder when I remember the ripping of my heart as we sailed away and I waved at my friends on the shore. My life in a human sense was over, but he has been faithful. And I thought, (laughs) she thinks even in heaven, she will shudder when she remembers the pain she felt that day of waving to family and friends as she went away. And she says, my life was over. And God gave it right back to me a hundredfold. If you've died with Him to the things you hoped for, not just to the sinful things you were ashamed of, you died to that, that sin is gone, but now the ambitions you have, the idealized version of yourself, if you lay that in the hands of Christ rather than trying to hold it for yourself, the dream you have of how your life's going to look five or six years from now, the kind of house you'll live in, the kind of spouse you'll have, the kind of physical fitness you'll have, the whatever, the money you'll have in the bank. If you, if you say to the Lord, this is yours, do with it what you want. I, I always imagine He would be so pleased with a gift like that, He would just poof, give me a great life. What I found is that He would kill that dream. That's a scary thing. It dies hard. And He gives back something more beautiful. Trust Him. Remember Him. He was risen from the dead. If you've died with Him, you will live with Him. He will show you what the newness of life looks like long before you get to heaven. You'll see the newness of life even down here by faith. If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. Maybe a different dream, maybe a different uh, angle on everything you ever imagined. You will live now with Christ. And then He says, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. If you continue on in that, reward upon reward will be heaped upon you and you will reign with Christ in the days to come. 
you will find that He has given back something you could have never even imagined. You will reign with Him. Now the problem is the next phrase, right? If we deny Him, He will also deny us. See, now that's a problem. <laughs> that's frightening. Like, what, 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 what does it mean to deny Him? And, and what does it mean that He'll deny me? What if in a bad moment, what if, what if in shame and fear of being made fun of or left out, I go, ah, I'm not going to claim Christ. I'm, there's no way. I'm not going to name His name and out myself like that. If I deny Him, He's going to deny me. Oh no. I don't think that's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. I don't think that's the thing they were singing back and forth. And why do I say that? Because the Apostle Peter did deny Jesus. He flat out, stone cold, said, I don't know him. And to make it believable, he cussed. There are denials that happen, and probably not, for most of us, anything like what Peter did. But you may have a moment when you want to hide your faith in Christ. And Paul knew that, that Timothy was going to face that, and that he might want to hide or tamp down or, or not expose that he belongs to Jesus. That would come. But that's not the same thing as a person who fi finally and utterly says, this was all stupid and nonsense, and I want nothing to do with it, and it is a lifelong denial that you're not an idiot like that anymore. You've eclipsed that. It's not an emotional moment. It's a, it's a, hey, I'm finally and thoroughly done with that because I've matured above that in my thinking. And I'm going to now live in the grip of that new reality that this was all fairy tales. What did Peter do when Jesus came and confronted him on the beach? He repented and, got, and Jesus restored him and used him. Look at the next phrase. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. So now here's the catch. You're going to have moments when your faith fails, but His faith is not going to fail. He's got you because His will is unstoppable. He cannot deny Himself. If you're in Him, you are safe. You may have moments when your faith fails. His faith, His grip on you will not fail. He cannot deny Himself. And if you are in Christ, even after you have had blunderous moments like Peter had, you will still have a Savior who will hold you tight. Many years ago at a retreat with Acts 29, it was really my first retreat, and I know I've, I've uh, maybe shared this story before, Bear with me, it's a, it's a story worth hearing again. It was somehow at this retreat, it was my first retreat with Acts 29, and I was new in the network, and I kind of felt like an oddball in this network. It was a network full of macho guys. At least that's how we imagined it. It wasn't really true. A lot of guys pretending to be machos. Acts 29. We called it A29, and it really started to stand for angry 29-year-olds. A bunch of guys with really good theology that were just mean or something. And I get to the retreat, and I'm kind of a, I'm a shepherd. I'm a pastor guy. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm such a pushover, man. I, I cry easily. It embarrasses me. 
I wish that wasn't part of my makeup. And then I think God says, yeah, but that's how I made you. So just go with it. And it's like, so I'm in this room full of what I felt were macho guys. And every guy that got up there and spoke started crying. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Watch you cry, babies. I started to feel a little bit more like I should get a tattoo or something. I don't know, man. I was starting to feel it and some fancy jeans. I don't know what I, but I started to feel like, what am I? I'm in a room full of guys that are getting up there crying. Every one of them. Matt Chandler had had brain cancer. He got up there and he cried as he told the story. Steve Timmis, a man who I adore, got up and told about his child wandering off, wandering from the faith, and he cried. Another guy gets up there, and he's the last guy to go, the last guy to speak at the conference. He gets up there, he starts crying, he starts telling his story, and he said, I nearly took my life this year. Everything started going wrong. Everything was so bad. The church was starting to flourish for the first time, and my marriage was starting to fall apart. And I, and I screamed at God. I cussed Him. He goes, I, all these guys that went before me at this conference, they suffered well. They brought their tears right into the throne room of God. And as I listened to their stories, I was ashamed to get up here and speak because I realized I didn't suffer like they did. They suffered in faith. I suffered and I just yelled and, and carried on like a toddler in front of God. I screamed at Him. I didn't even suffer well. And he said, you know what? Because he, he had denied he denied God's goodness. He denied God's kindness. He said, and then God whispered this to me last night. Yes, but I suffered well for you. You don't have to suffer well. I even did that for you. Now worship me. Now trust me. Friends, I, I don't know what ugly moments may await us as a group or as individuals in the next 24 months or 12 months. I hope that our faith remains good and strong and vibrant. I hope that we sound and look like Christians who believe, not only in the moments when it's convenient and things are going our way, but in the worst moments. I hope we continue on worshiping. If we don't, He won't let us go because His will is unstoppable. We are chosen in Christ and He will not change His mind. He's already decided about us. And there's no changing that. So remember Jesus Christ. Remember Him. Keep remembering Him. Remember Him with us this morning. Remember that He was raised from the dead. Remember that He is the promise, the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to David. And it's an eternal promise that includes us. And He will not change His mind. Pray with me.